Good morning and welcome to Sunday School at Second Baptist Church. I'm glad you could be with me this morning. I really miss my producer Clint this morning because um, I don't know anything about adjusting this tripod, but maybe I won't look too large or <laughs> crooked on the screen as you look at me. We are going to finish up in the book of Job today and it has been an interesting uh, study to go through this again. It had been a few years since I studied through that particular book and so I've enjoyed it. Um, when we last were together and talked about um, this book, we were, God was speaking and so Job had, you know, been complaining because he felt that he was innocent and that God had, uh, you know, done wrong to him. Um, and he had become um, a complainer about that, even though he still wasn't angry with God, but yet he was, I guess, uh, whining about it. And so God then answered Job in the last lesson, you know, to say, uh, basically to reinforce, I am all powerful. I can do anything that I want to. And sometimes I do things that you don't understand. And he went through uh, and uh, challenged Job, I guess, on his attitude that he had had about uh, God. And then, of course, those next the next chapter was that chapter that I told you if you felt if you had time and felt that would be interesting to read about uh, the description there of the beasts and the creatures, and particularly the dragon. So that was interesting. Um, and then uh, we get to chapter forty-two. So we don't have a lot of background to cover today, and that's good because I would like to cover all of chapter forty-two, even though our lesson stops uh, before the end. And so, um, at the beginning of this then, we see Job answering back to God from uh, God speaking to him. And so, let's go down through this section, uh, starting with verses 1 and 2. So, this is chapter 42 of Job, verses 1 and 2. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so, Job was, um, you know, gave a humble response, I guess, to God in saying, I know that you're right, God, in the things you said, that you can do all things and nobody can stop you if you decide to do something. And so, Job, you know, begins with that acknowledgement of God and then goes further in verses 3 and 4. Uh, the beginning of verse 3, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He's, he's making a quote there from what God had said back in um, chapter 38 when God said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? So in other words, um, God started off by saying to Job, and he spoke to Job out of the whirlwind, it says. And he said, you know, who, who is this that's basically speaking of what they do not know? 
And so Job then refers back to that in verse 3 here. So I'm going to read 3 and 4. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. So that's another quote uh, where God had said, you know, okay, you instruct me then, since you know so much. And so Job, again, is admitting, I declared what I did not understand. I, I admit to it, God, and I, you know. So he was humble in his response to God. And then let's see what he says next. In verse 5, he says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. So, you know, it's it refers in chapter 38 that God is speaking to Job out of the whirlwind. Now, whether Job physically saw God in the sense of um, maybe saw Jesus. You know, there are times in the Old Testament like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then there was another person in there who appeared to be like a son of, of man or a son of God, I think it says. So, you know, there are times in the, in the Old Testament when a, a personage appeared, and uh, most scholars attribute that to being Jesus, you know, it, which is interesting to think of. And so whether he saw God in that way or whether he saw the whirlwind and this was the power of God that he was seeing and he acknowledged, you know, God in that way and heard the voice. We don't know for sure. But he says, uh, you know, up to now, I've heard you by the hearing of the ear. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And so um, Job maybe had never had such a face-to-face -face encounter with God through his life, though he had heard of God and knew God in that way of, of trusting God and knowing that God, uh, you know, was taking care of him in the past. And so then we get to verse 6 where Job says, Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. And that is the you know, the way that you see through the Bible of people that repent in uh, dust and ashes or in sackcloth and ashes, something like that. They sit in the ash pile. You know, there's different references to it. Um, but all of those are a sign of repentance and humility, humiliating oneself and that sort of thing. And so, you know, Job, in all of his response to God, he gives that, you know, humble answer. And then we get to verse 7. It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the, uh, the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So, he says to these first three friends that had spoken, um, you have not spoken of me what is right. So 
you know, they had it wrong in the things that they were saying about how God always blesses uh, and never sends harm or allows a person who is righteous to be harmed or, you know, things like that. So he was telling them that, hey, you got it all wrong. You know, you were wrong to accuse Job. And I thought it was interesting in this part that it never does refer to that fourth uh, friend, quote-unquote friend, um, the young Elihu who was so uh, harsh in his judgment. It never does even refer to him, uh, or God never refers to him, in, you know, so... Maybe that just didn't get written down what God did or said to him. I don't know. Um, okay, let's go on now to to verses 8 and 9 where God gives them instructions then, the three friends. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves and my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly. Because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, <coughs> excuse me, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job. So the Lord says, you make these sacrifices to uh, um, repent for the things that you said about me. And you ask your friend Job to pray for you, and I'll accept his prayer for you. And I won't do to you the things that you deserve because of your actions. So I, you know, I, I think that is another, I guess, test of Job's character. That when God had given him this power to pray for these three friends and ask that God forgive them, um, you know, he had, he could have uh, refused to do so. I mean, because they had really attacked him, hadn't they? And you can imagine that human nature might cause you to say, well, no, I'm not going to pray for them. I mean, they've done all these things. Uh, let God do whatever he wants to with them, you know? And that would be human nature. And so it, it is another reflection of Job's character, I think, his, his good and strong character, that he... Um, you know, was willing to pray for these friends and um, that that they would repent and that God would um, accept Job's prayer for them and and hear the prayer. So that was that was interesting. Now we go on further. Um, I think I skipped something that I wanted to say. Let me look. There was a um, there was an example that I wanted to give, and I'll give it at the end. And so, 
the, our book says that Jesus is really the only truly innocent sufferer that there ever was. But the story of Job kind of points forward to uh, the suffering of Jesus. And you can kind of see that, you know, that um, the idea of an innocent person suffering um, and then the same thing, you know, with Job. And so then in verses 10 and 11, it says, The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him. And they ate bread with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. So God restored the fortune of Job twofold. He had twice as much as he had had before. Maybe twice as many camels, twice as many donkeys, everything. And also, all of these brothers, sisters, and friends um, that had not really shown up and had shunned him when he had the boils and, and all of that, now they all show up to celebrate with him and bring him money and rings of gold. And so, you know... I. I mean, that's, that's also sort of human nature, isn't it? That, you know, when things are going bad, people may uh, avoid you. And then when it, things are restored to good, then people are more willing to come together and rejoice with you um, over the good things that have happened. You know, I, I think that that's just our human nature. It's a... Maybe it's a self-preservation uh, that we have in mind, you know, to, to say, well, this person, if they've gone to prison, you know, I, I need to avoid uh, that person associating myself with them, that um, it might reflect badly on me. You know, I'm sure that's the human nature side of it um, and the reason that people might have avoided Job in the past. And so I'm going to read on now to the end of the chapter. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima or the African pronunciation of it is the one that I always remember, Jemima. And the second, uh, Keziah or Kezia. And the third, Karen Hapuk. In all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters, and their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons four generations. And Job died an old man full of days. There's some interesting things there. Um, to think, you know, back in those days, you hear of many people mentioned in the Bible that lived long years. And Job, after all of this happened, he lived an additional 140 years. 
and saw four generations of, you know, children, grandchildren. So more children were born to him because, you know, all the others had been killed. So more children were born, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren, and maybe one more after that. And so he, he died a happy man with a full life. Um, interesting that he named the daughters among their, among their brothers with an inheritance. That would not have been normal back then. The brothers or the men were the ones that inherited things, you know. And so, but Job made the decision that his daughters and his sons would inherit. And then I think about the uh, number of sheep, camels, oxen, and donkeys that he had because I've never seen that many at one time, but there was a time in Nigeria where we saw the nomadic um, cattle herders, the Fulani. And some of those Fulani are very wealthy and they count their wealth and the number of cattle that they have just like this. And they also have sheep and donkeys and camels sometimes actually. If you get closer up to the desert, they also have camels. But we were traveling one time and we saw a huge um, family group of, of cattle and, and there were hundreds of those. But still, you know, not even close to the number that Job had. But that was an amazing sight just to see that many cows being driven through the bush. Um, over there they don't have them in pastures like we do in America. They, the cows are more trained, I guess you might say, and they follow the lead cows, and the, the lead cows respond to a voice command, and then all the others follow, and they can cross the highway with them or whatever, you know, and it's really an amazing thing. But the thing that it brought to mind is, um, this week, the example that, that I thought of, because Job spoke out of what he did not know. You know, he was responding or speaking to God, responding to God, not responding, but speaking to God when he was doing his complaining or his whining. He was not seeing the big picture. He was not seeing the fullness of what God had in mind and why. And it did remind me of the Fulani because we knew um, Fulani people who had accepted Christ and were willing to die for just that little bit of knowledge of God that they had. And yet they were willing to die for it because they were often attacked by Muslims that, you know, from their own family or other, other families that felt that they had done wrong by becoming Christians. And, you know, with Job, he, he acted on the knowledge of God that he had. And we do too, because we don't have a full knowledge of God. We, we don't have that perspective to get the big picture or to understand things in the way that God understands them. And so oftentimes, you know, maybe we feel like God has forgotten about me or God has gone away because these bad things are happening. 
uh, it must be that God, you know, either God's punishing me or God isn't there or God has forgotten about me. And I think it is important and one of the most important things that we can learn from this study of Job is that God has a much more complex and bigger picture in mind with the things that he does. And it could be that when a person goes through suffering or they go through cancer as a Christian, it may be that God is using that to demonstrate how a Christian uh, can handle those things. You know, he may be using us to, um, to show that you can pick up and, and still go, or even in passing away, which happens sometimes, we hear people mention that, well, pastors have mentioned before, that it's very different when a Christian passes away than when a non-Christian passes away, uh, because a non-Christian, a lot of times they have seen them go out sort of kicking and screaming, you might say. Um, where when a, the death of a Christian, you know, is a thing that um, shows the power of God in their lives. And so in our living and in our dying, you know, we should always try to give glory to God in all of those things and try to remember when bad things happen, this is an opportunity to show the power of God, to glorify God, and to um, respect God for whatever it is that he's doing. So I thank you for studying through Job with me. And next week, we're going to start on the study of Ecclesiastes. And you know, we studied some in Ecclesiastes um, when I skipped over or I didn't want to do the Song of Solomon. Do you remember that last year? And so we didn't do it and we did some things out of Ecclesiastes for a couple of weeks. And But this is a little deeper and covers Ecclesiastes better. And so I think we'll just go ahead and follow the, the book suggested, suggested lessons and let's do that because there are a lot of things that we might be able to discuss and learn. So I'll see you next week, and we'll begin that study. If you want to read ahead a little bit in Ecclesiastes, then you'll be ready for that. I hope you have a great